It was a typical kind of uh, Washington play where let's cram a lot of crap into a bill, most of which people don't want. I'm glad the House kicked it down, and I'm you know, glad the Senate finally pretty much gave up on this ridiculous idea of we're going to cut this down to only 5,000 a day. Oh, that's great. That's 1.8 million a year. The real sealed border means zero people come through who shouldn't be coming through. And the idea that you can just let 10 million people wander into the country and somehow live among us, they're supposed to be able to become sleeper cells and one day wake up and do something worse than what Israel experienced on October the 7th. I'm gonna tell you when that happens, and it probably will, and I, I pray it doesn't, I Joe Biden owns that. All right, folks, we're on cruise control to the weekend. This is the Sean Spicer Show. Happy Wednesday to you all. A lot to get to with our guest, Governor Mike Huckabee. He is the host of the Huckabee Show on TBN Saturday nights. Always great guests on that show. Plus a former two-time presidential candidate, the former governor of Arkansas, and I believe his daughter has a very similar job now. We're going to cover the House blowing it on the Mayorkas deal. Uh the border bill blowing up. It's dead on arrival now. Nikki Haley, by the way, lost to none of these candidates in the Nevada primary. That's right. Two to one voted for none of these candidates. It's actually something you can vote for on the ballot, but she wants Secret Service protection. Uh, RNC chair, Ronna McDaniel, leaking that she will resign after the South Carolina primary. I'm going to get his take on that, plus some advice on when and who Trump should pick for his vice president. Let's get into it with Governor Mike Huckabee. Governor, a lot of news to uh, to get to today, but I want to start with something a little, I don't even, it's not, less political is probably the way to put this. You're a musician. We lost Toby Keith this week. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, I, I can't, I mean, it's for me, it was weird. There are people that pass that I don't really know that, upset. I mean, that, that, and I looked at Toby Keith and I thought all he'd done for the USO, all of the, the outspoken, somehow this one touched me in a way that, um, I don't know that a lot of people who passed might, I might be upset or sorry they passed, but I felt really sorry. Um, he's 62 years old, obviously cancer, but the guy really was one of the few, maybe it's cause he is one of the few on the conservative side that went out and practiced what he preached. He was a remarkable guy. I had the privilege of hosting him when I was doing my television show at Fox News and uh, got to play with him. We uh, did a duet. It was just the two of us. And I was scared to death because I'm thinking, normally you have a full band. So if I screw up, I can kind of hide, you know, behind the band a little bit. Or if there's a lick or something in the song that I'm not really comfortable with, I just sort of sit it out and the band keeps going. This was just him on an acoustic guitar and me on bass. And it was to release his album called Clancy's Tavern back in 2011. And we did an interview that was fun. I posted it on my Twitter account so people can see it and the song. But Toby was just a remarkable guy. And I think you're right to feel that sense of loss from his death because his songs were all about getting right into people's hearts. He's one of the best songwriters, I think, yeah. that lived in our generation. A brilliant songwriter. Some people are great performers. Uh, they're not great songwriters. So they have to have somebody else write their stuff. There are other people who are great songwriters. They're not really great performers. And so somebody else has to perform their stuff. Toby was the whole package. And he was one of the most prolific, creative songwriters. And when I go through a list of the catalog of his stuff, I just realized 
he was an American treasure, yeah. uh, both with his songwriting ability and his capacity then to translate that into performance in a way that you just felt like he was talking straight to you. So uh, Toby grew up just to the west of Arkansas, across the border in Oklahoma. His grandmother lived in Fort Smith, Arkansas. So he had a real Arkansas connection that we were able to relate to. And uh, that was kind of fun. Um, you know, he was old school. He was just, uh, you know, he told me, he said he grew up Southern Democrat, like all the people in Oklahoma did at the time when he was coming up. I said, Toby, so did I. You know, I said, all my family were old Southern Democrats. I said, I'm not sure my parents voted for me. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it was it was fun. And we had a great connection. And he was just a down-to-earth guy. I'm, I'm like you. Of all the politics that's going on in the world today, his death profoundly saddened me. It truly did, because we've lost um, one of America's great, great treasures. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just the USO. He founded this cancer foundation that helped kids who were going through cancer well before his own diagnosis. And that's yeah. kind of where, you know, I look at this and say some people maybe haven't lived uh, the life that God has asked us to. Hmm. Uh, he gave back to so many people for no reason. He always remembered, uh, you know, he talks about working in the oil fields and uh, understand the, the value of a dollar. And, uh, and he gave back in ways that, not many do these days uh, who have achieved that level of fame and notoriety. And I, I just, I thought it was so cool. Anyway, I, I wanted to one make other, sure before. One yeah. other trivial point. Do you know whose career he launched? Taylor Swift. Swift. Yeah. He was the I'm one gonna... who found her and uh, first gave her a record deal and catapulted her into, uh, well, at the time she was a country singer. That's where yeah. she was. I would say she's probably kind of, ventured from that, but uh, it was Toby Keith who saw something in her. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to go there for a lot of other reasons. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I saw our, our friend John Rich put out some comments uh, about, you know, it's, it's interesting of all the comments that she's made that there's yeah. not been one about Toby. I'll, I'll leave that for now. And, and uh, I think we'll, we'll segue into politics, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, folks, if you've been watching the show for a while, you've heard me talk about my friend, Leo Grillo. He rescued a Doberman years ago, and he named the dog Delta. Delta stands for Dedication and Everlasting Love to Animals. He took it a step further. He founded Delta Rescue. And if you go to deltarescue.org, you can see some of the amazing work that they do. Just check out those videos. Look at some of the things that they do in the research. It's amazing. It's a no-kill sanctuary. You notice I didn't say shelter. It's a sanctuary. Dogs, cats, horses, they all roam free. They get the nutrition and the care they need for life. That has been Leo's mission. But it doesn't stop there. Leo wants to make this an enduring mission. All of Delta Rescue runs on our contributions, five, ten, a hundred, a thousand dollars, whatever you can do. But Leo really wants to make sure that this outlasts even him. So if you go to deltarescue.org, you can check out not just the videos, but go to the estate planning kit and think about whether or not helping animals and ensuring that Delta Rescue lives on is part of your mission as well. Go to deltarescue.org, make a contribution, but then download that estate planning kit, deltarescue.org. Check it out now. I, I think what's interesting about having you on today is you've run for president twice. You won the Iowa caucuses. And I wasn't sure where to start today because there's a couple different angles. So let's start with the breaking news overnight 
that RNC chair Ronnie McDaniel will step down after South Carolina. Some people are cheering this because they think Ron has outstayed her welcome. Some people are concerned about some of the institutional uh, connection that might get lost, right? That there's seven years of ground game, data, fundraising, donor relations, et cetera. As a former presidential candidate, how would you view this move right now? You know, I liked Ronna on a personal level, and I think that she did many good things while she was chair. But seven years is much longer than most people ever stay in that position. Right. So, you know, I, I kind of have the attitude that every job should be vacated from time to time. I'm a strong believer in term limits for every elected official, including the judicial branch. So it'd be a little disingenuous for me to be such a champion of term limits for all the elected positions and then say, except for party uh, jobs. I think those ought to be permanent. I don't think they should be. I think it's good to get new blood. Uh, let's thank Rana, salute her, cheer her on, uh, be grateful for the service she gave. But I think it's probably a good time. I don't think it's fair when people blame Rana for election losses in the last few cycles. You, you can't blame the party chairman. Ultimately, you can't blame Donald Trump either. Candidates win races, candidates yeah. lose races. I can say that because I've been a candidate. I've right. won, I've lost. Uh, I do find, though, that when you win, everyone else did it. When you lose, um, you know, you always look for someone to blame. The truth is, candidates are the ones who are ultimately responsible for whether they win or lose. Yeah, I think that's, I, I agree with your sentiment there. I think that's the, the party committee's job is to, to, I've always said it's like the league, right? It's like the, I mean, we're heading into the Super Bowl weekend. It's, yeah. it's like the league. Their job is to make sure that the game is fair, that the teams have the resources they need to play a good game. But ultimately, to your point about candidates, it's the teams who go out there and win or lose on the field. Uh, you, you run your plays, you call your, you, you decide who, what, what players are going in. But the party doesn't get to do that. Uh, now, again, that doesn't mean they're above criticism. It sure. just means it understands what what role they play. Um, so then let's let's move let's move to the Senate, if you will. Let's start with this border bill. I had Stephen Miller on the show, and I said to him, as somebody who's been around for a while, um, were you? Did they discuss this bill with you? Right? If you think immigration. You think Stephen Miller. If you yeah. think peanut butter, you think jelly. Like yeah. it's just okay. It, and I was like, I would, I would be shocked knowing that if you put a bill out there, that you wouldn't be expecting the MAGA wing of the party to respond. And he sure. said, Well, we were, we were informed of it. We were never shown it. We were actually never really given. It, it shocked me how the Senate came out with this. I, I don't think Jim Lankford had any ill intention. But I was shocked that he didn't think to shop this around before and say, OK, what do you think of these provisions that a lot of Republicans are now whacking on? And what do you think of the things that we're doing to, to increase border security? But universally, I can't find a single Republican that thinks it's a good thing. Yeah, because it isn't a good thing. It's a disastrous bill. Uh, the Senate has abandoned it. Jim Lankford may have had good intentions, but he was very naive to think that he was going to uh, craft something sort of in the dark and suddenly show up a 370 page bill and say, okay, everybody, you have 30 minutes to digest and eat this. And we're going to put it out on the floor and send it to the house. No, you're not. That's not going to happen. First of all, it wasn't a border bill. And this is right. part that I made on news nation last night, because they were talking about this border. But I said, let's quit talking about a border bill. This was a Ukraine bill, $120 billion 
over half of it was for Ukraine. Then you add the 14 plus billion for Israel, and then you look at what's left, and a whole bunch of it has nothing to do with securing the border. We have the laws in place to secure the border. And, and then this ridiculous idea of we're going to cut this down to only 5,000 a day. Oh, that's great. That's 1.8 million a year. Isn't that spectacular? Because a real sealed border means zero people come through who shouldn't be coming through. I mean, what is, it's like saying, okay, we've had a lot of people speeding on this highway. Now we're going to really cut down, boy. We're only going to, uh, when people are driving over 100 miles an hour, every 30 or 40 cars, we might pull them over. I'm sorry, but if, if you have people getting killed on that roadway, you find a way to slow the traffic down. This was an absurdity on its face. It was a typical kind of uh, Washington play where let's cram a lot of crap into a bill, most of which people don't want. Let's don't individually take these pieces. Let's do a, a buffet. And in order to get a plate, you have to take everything on the buffet or you don't get to eat. Well, that's a stupid way to go to a buffet and it's a stupid way to legislate. And it was a disaster from, from the get-go. I'm glad the House kicked it down and I, you know, glad the Senate finally pretty much gave up on it. But all it was going to do is give Joe Biden a reason to go around boasting that he had a bipartisan agreement, a bipartisan agreement to do nothing to actually deal with the border issue. And it would give him everything he wanted with Ukraine. And I know a lot of Republicans want it too. And, and I've got some you know, some understanding that there is value in helping Ukraine, but I want there to be greater accountability in what we give them as to what they're doing with it. But all that aside, Sean, this was a, just a disaster waiting to happen, and Langford should have known that. That's what shocks me. And I, to your point, like about the naivete, I don't understand. There are days when I look at things that happen and I, you know, I look, okay, that guy's a, a freshman member of yeah. Congress or, you know, first term this or didn't get that. Lankford's no spring chicken. He served in the House before the Senate. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, and you know that of all of the issues that President Trump and the MAGA base, and frankly, the voters right now care about our immigration. And when they start telling me that we're now making asylum easier for people, meaning that the officer, the court officer can just deem you and then what does that mean? Well, now you're on a five path, excuse me, a five year path to citizenship. Mm -hmm. You have now confirmed every single thing that I've been saying that this is truly a ploy for new voters. I yeah. just, it, it, it truly like some days I scratch my head and I go, there's no way it was that stupid because I don't understand why you could possibly think to your point that this was a border bill. It wasn't a border bill. It really was an amnesty bill. Yeah. And, and not only was it disproportionately Ukraine, Israel, other things, but the portion of it that was so-called border bill didn't build a wall, didn't stop the flow, right. didn't court, go back to the remain in Mexico policy that had been so very effective and didn't create uh, that sense in which people didn't just get to walk in and be turned loose. But to your point a moment ago, this is not even a, a partisan issue anymore. Because these big cities that are total Democrat, New York, Washington, Chicago, uh, Boston, Denver, these are Democrat cities run by the most hospitable mayors in the country who boast about being sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. Suddenly, they have 
minority, African-American mothers. I saw one on TV the other night from Boston. Her four children cannot get into the community center. The only place they have, which is accessible to them, to go and play basketball and to uh, have some indoor place to play in the winter, they can't go. Why? Well, because they've housed the place from top to bottom with illegal immigrants, and they're giving them gift cards and health care, and they're providing food for them. Her kids don't get gift cards. Her kids aren't getting free food. Her kids can't even go to the community center. And this is an African-American single mom who just probably won't vote for the Democrats this year because they're fed up. They're disgusted with this. And the same thing could be said, that's just anecdotal. But Sean, you and I both know that this is uh, beginning to sink in. When we provide gift cards to illegal people who shouldn't even be here, uh, and we don't do the same for homeless veterans, people are saying this is wrong. When you get cops who have the stuffing beat out of them on video in New York City, and they're released without bail before the cops even get out of the hospital, and then they flee because some idiot judge didn't even think they might be a flight risk. Golly, really? You take the guy that saved the lives in the subway, the American taxpaying citizen, you put him in jail, make him go to Rikers Island, you put his bail at an unaffordable rate, and you let these illegals walk out who give the world a finger and basically say, this is what we think of your criminal justice system, and they flee to Arizona. This is insane. And I think as Republicans, we need to just make sure the American people understand, if you vote for Democrats, you get more of this. If you vote for Republicans, we stop it. Hey, folks, are you looking to secure your financial future? I know during the Biden economy, that's something that all of us are trying to do more. I've added precious metals to my investment strategy. And the people that I trust to do that are the folks at Bishop Gold Group. Now, if you go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, you can begin your journey as well with a special promotion. Or you can give them a call at 844-984-1616. These are the people that I picked up the phone. I called them. I walked through my particular situation. And we came up with a strategy. Now, maybe you have an IRA that you want to roll over. Maybe you just want to diversify your investments. But people at Bishop Gold Group are the people that I trust. Give them a call or go to the site, bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. You get on the phone, you talk about your particular situation, and they'll help you come up with a strategy. Maybe you keep some of the gold with you, maybe they do it for you, but you can work with them one-on-one to come up with a strategy that's good for you. So go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean to begin your journey to financial freedom through precious metals. What I don't get is all that's happening. You got the the illegals and, and the payments, there was yeah. a video that went viral the other day of a of an individual who was talking to a migrant that was living in a hotel in New York, very nice hotel, getting three squares a day. And I'm thinking to myself, criminals in this country don't get that. Veterans don't. I mean, like yeah. we don't treat our own. And then you get the crime, the 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 carjackings. And I I I was reading there was a gentleman, former Trump administration official by the name of Mike Gill, um, yeah. who was killed. He was carjacked waiting for his wife at K and Ninth, right downtown DC. Yeah. And some of the comments of individuals who knew him said, I hope this is a tipping point for DC and the city. And that's obviously not anything to do with the illegals, but it's this culmination of crime, illegals. And and I think to myself about what you were just saying, is do people in these cities come to a tipping point and say, all right, it's enough. 
because I just don't think so. I, I honestly feel like they're going to no one's calling for the recall of Mayor Bowser or Mayor Adams. And I don't understand that. I'm sitting there thinking if you feel like you cannot walk through a city and feel safe and you voted for these morons, me, I'm sorry, to some degree, you're at fault. I agree. And I think that's the message we have to keep saying to them. Now, granted, sometimes the message doesn't get through to them because if they watch CNN or uh, <coughs> BSNBC, yeah. they're going to believe this is all Trump's fault. This is what's amazing. I listened to Joe Biden yesterday. Now, all indications are this bill won't even move forward to the Senate floor. Why? A simple reason. Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump thinks it's bad for him politically. Therefore, he doesn't even know it helps the, the, the country. He's not for it. Donald Trump hasn't been in office in three years, Joe. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're the president and you have been for three years. Donald Trump had this pretty much under control when he left. On day one, you reversed every single immigration policy he had and called them cruel and horrible and, and uh, un-American. But don't and you think it was funny, by the way, he literally cut razor wire that the state of Texas had put up. And yep. then he turns around and says, this is all going to be Donald Trump's fault. Dude, well, you cut the razor wire. You 100%. sued them. Yeah. You sued them to cut razor wire. And now you're going to say this is Trump's fault. And he's been out of office for three years. Well, it, we have to have some more reporters who are pressing this. I don't know where they come from because there's only three or four uh, whoever ask honest questions and press this administration for truth. Um, but what we need are more voices in Congress who stand up and push back rather than try to make a deal with Chuck Schumer or make a deal with Hakeem Jeffries. There is no deal to be made on this. And no. what I think the Republicans should have done is to come up with a very clear issue of the remain in Mexico policy, build a border wall, go back and, and basically say we're going to go back to the, you don't have to call it the Trump policies, but that's what it would be, and say, this is our starting point. You either meet us here or nothing else gets put on the table. We don't hold a hard line. We always cave. And yeah. I understand you, you don't get everything you want in politics. I've said that. I've constantly said that. Uh, compromise is necessary, but not on your core principles, not on the law. And this is not a matter of preference or ideology. Sean, this is a matter of we have a U.S. law that says that you can't enter this country illegally. Here's what ticks me off. I go to the airport to get on an airplane. TSA makes me show my photo ID. They do a bodily search if they feel like it and put their hands all over my person. They rifle through my luggage to see what I have. They know who I am. I mean, I honestly don't think they are believing that I'm about to hijack an airplane or kill somebody but they still put me through this theater. Right. If I'm an illegal, I walk up and say, yeah, I don't want you to take my picture. Oh, well, heck no, we won't do that. Come on aboard. And I, I almost the other day when I was getting the whole pat down and they were going through my luggage crap, I almost just said, skirt, I just want you to know, I identify as a 21 year old Chinese uh, uh, illegal immigrant. So if you would just wave me through and let's get this over with, because I really want to go ahead and get on the plane. Uh, that's what enrages me. Yeah. I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm just tired of it. And I think I represent what a lot of people feel is that as an American citizen paying taxes, I'm tired of paying taxes to buy gift cards for illegals while people who have served in uniform in this country are sleeping on park benches, not in the nice hotels in New York with three meals a day. 
I, well, I, I'll take that and I'll, I'll one up it. I, I feel like after 9-11, we sat around, we came up with these hashtags saying never forget. Yes. And then we get reports of how many people on the terrorist watch list come in. I tweeted out yesterday, how many people are acceptable to come in that are on the terrorist watch list at Chuck Schumer? Just give mm-hmm. me a number. Is it five, 10, 20? How many yeah. people that seek to do us harm should come in before we care? But it, Republicans are sitting back and negotiating a number saying, well, you can close the border at this number. What I just, we we didn't, to your point about the airport, we didn't say, you know how many, okay, so when you go to the airport, every 10th person's going to get screened. No, everybody's going to get screened. Everybody's going to show ID, except if you, you know, throw your documents away and then we'll just take your word for it. And I'm like, what is going on? CBS, as I pointed out yesterday, did this entire 60 minutes piece where they showed Chinese military aged men carrying suitcases like they were going on a carnival cruise coming through this gap in California. And they were asking them, they're like, well, we just, you know, we watch a video on TikTok. We learn how to come in. And the Border Patrol guy is standing there with his gun telling folks that he has been ordered, that he can't do anything. And I'm going, what, what is happening? We went yeah. from never forget to come on in. Yeah. And, and I, let's just be clear. We're not talking about trying to keep little kids from coming in and having a, a safe place to live. That's not what it is. There are little kids who are coming in, some of whom are going to be sex trafficked because we don't have any idea right. where they're headed. But the real danger is what you just mentioned. We have people from 150 countries, not Central America, not South America, but from Iran, from Yemen, from Iraq, uh, from China, North Korea, from God knows where. We have no idea where they come from. And we don't have any idea where they're going to be when they but get- But don't you think on a political, I mean, you've always been the master of messaging. And there's a simplicity to this that I don't understand why Republicans don't get. And that's yeah. why I tried my best by just saying, how many terrorists are acceptable? Yeah. Democrat, X, fill in the blank. But what we're, we're missing this. I don't understand. You talk to every single American. They go, oh, my God, you know how disgusted I am? They share your sentiments exactly. And yet we can't do the simplest things. To your point about why don't we just package two things, put remain in Mexico and shut the border down, put it in a bill and say, here you go. Yeah. I do, I do. Non-negotiable. This is it. You don't come to the table on this one. And we don't talk about Ukraine. We don't talk about anything else. This is a starting point. I, I, I don't know why they don't do that. Now, they may not get it. You know, realistically, Sean, the Democrats, they have almost half the House. They have the Senate and they have the White House. So they might just say, well, we're not going to give in. OK, fine. Fine, fine. But just but keep passing it. Issue. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it can't get much worse. It's like the old saying when a person says, you know, if you keep doing that behavior, you're going to hell. And the person says, well, can it get any worse? Not really. There's not a hell number two. So, I mean, if you're going, you're going. I think Republicans need to show some backbone. I'm afraid too many of them. uh, They want to be able to sit at the cool kids table. And there is no cool kids table. This We're fighting for our country's integrity. We're fighting for our country's existence. And the idea that you can just let 10 million people wander into the country and somehow live among us. And we are supposed to take care of the ones that we know about and the ones we don't, they're supposed to be able to become sleeper cells and one day wake up and do something worse than what Israel experienced on October the 7th. I'm gonna tell you when that happens, and it probably will, and I, I pray it doesn't, I agree. Joe Biden owns that. Joe Biden, the Democrats own it. Hey guys, uh, as a former White House press secretary and a graduate of the U.S. Naval War College, I spent a lot of time thinking through contingency planning, and there's nothing better that you can do for yourself and your family and your loved ones 
than getting the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. When something goes wrong, a natural disaster, some other thing that attacks our power grid, you will be prepared. The Patriot Generator 2000X is the perfect thing for your house, your family. You can plug in everything, a refrigerator, so if you have medical supplies or food, you will be prepared. All of those other tablets and computers, things that are helpful for you and your family, the Patriot Power Generator 2000X takes care of it. The best part about it is it's portable. You can bring it in your house. You can take it with you on a trip, run it out of your car at a campsite. It doesn't matter. Put it literally in your house and on the counter and power the fridge. You can do it. Plus, it operates off a solar panel which comes free with your order. You will be prepared. No running to the gas station, no worrying about anything else. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X is your hedge against the inevitable. Go to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer to get yours now. I was doing a show and we had this panel discussion. This is probably going on a month ago. And everyone said, back in the day when something happened, we would all come together as a nation like we did after 9-11. And they, this is a Democrat talking. He said, Our great, my greatest fear is that when something happens again, the, you guys on the right are going to point the finger. And I go, you're right. Yeah. And he goes, see, that's my point. And I go, no, 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 no. Just to be clear, you allowed this to happen. Yeah. Like, say what you will about 9-11 and preparations, but no one willfully let this happen. You literally cut razor wire. You undid policies. You did things to proactively create the environment for something bad to happen. Your own Department of Homeland Security is telling you that there are threats. And now you wonder if we're going to come together and support your guy? Yeah. And and your guy, the DHS director, said repeatedly before Congress under uh, oath that the border was secure. I want to be very clear. Our borders are not open. People who cross our border unlawfully and without a legal basis to remain will be pr promptly processed and removed. Who are you going to believe? My orcas or your lying eyes? Because something ain't clicking here. That's why I say if this happens, and I pray it doesn't, uh, but Joe Biden and the Democrats truly own this. It's yeah. not that I wish I it on them because of a political advantage, but this is about taking responsibility for the decisions you make and the policies that you create. These are not policies that were created by a combination of Democrats and Republicans. Um, they hated Donald Trump's policies. They have embraced, supported, defended, and promoted these policies of open borders, and therefore you can't escape the responsibility for it. It's really so what simple. I agree. What did you think of the House vote last night that came up three short? Because it was funny how many of the rank and file guys pointed the fingers at the leadership. And I'm like, yeah. they came up a vote short. Three of their members voted against it. I, I just don't know how much you can blame Speaker Johnson for. I mean, the, apparently they were twisting some serious arms, literally. Three members voted against it. They did find one that flips his vote. Now, for those who are watching, the reason the fourth flipped their vote is there's a procedural mechanism you can utilize where it allows you to call the vote back up. Steve Scalise was out getting cancer treatment, and therefore, when he comes back, in theory, they should win. And oh, by the way, they kicked out George Santos the other day, which took him down to this vote that they did need last night. But I just, I was like, I'm not sure that this is Speaker Johnson's fault that you guys can't get your act together. No, it's not Speaker Johnson's fault. And I think, you know, he showed some courage by putting it on the floor. I, I, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't sure that impeaching Mayorkas was going to be a great idea. N not that it didn't sort of make a statement, but it's going to die 
faster than an ice cube in hell the moment it gets to the Senate. So it, it really doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't remove him from office. Um, and, and it kind of makes it look like, well, the Republicans didn't have the votes. Here's what I don't understand. Those three or four Republicans who voted against, I say they are in the same camp that Matt Gates and the six or seven were when they wouldn't vote for a speaker. Because at some point, I, I have to admire the Democrats. They do stick together. Yeah. They, they amaze me with their uh, party discipline. And then it disgusts me that you have some Republicans who are unable to get more than two or three, maybe five or six people to vote for them. But in essence, they are voting with the other party because those guys that voted no, they were voting with the Democrats last night to kill that. So they need to understand what they did. They didn't just vote against the impeachment. They voted to stand with Hakeem Jeffries, Rashida Tlaib, with Ilhan Omar, with Cori Bush, with Maxine Waters, Nancy Pelosi, and the rest of those crazies, they voted with them last night. And I wish they understood that's how this comes out. Whether they think they're brave and courageous and more principled than all the other Republicans together, they're not. They just showed where their real loyalties are. To your point, I will tell you this, if Donald Trump gets back in the White House and doesn't have a Republican House, do you think that there's any way that those Democrats aren't going to try to impeach him for the 18th time? I mean, the Republicans yeah. have got to grow up and realize yeah. they didn't, they, they, these, you know, as I told Alan Dershowitz the other day, they started it. So unfortunately, this is what happens. Let's pivot back to your uh, experience as a presidential candidate. You actually won states, you yeah. won Ohio, and then you won a bunch on Super Tuesday when you ran in 2008. Um, Nikki Haley right now is requesting Secret Service protection. Did you ever have Secret Service protection or or request it? No, I didn't. The, the criteria back in 08 was very stringent, and you had to have not one, but a number of what the uh, FBI would deem credible death threats. They would then turn it to the Secret Service, who then would determine. And it was a pretty high bar to clear. So I never did. And, and frankly, I'm kind well, of- Well, because also people like you. I mean, I think that's- Yeah. But, you know, um, maybe Nikki needs Secret Service protection. I'm not going to argue that. I, I would want her to Do you to think be... that none of the above is going to go after her? <laughs> what a great point. Um, um, I, I say that just in case tough, you're not. The, the, the Nevada primary was last night, and yeah. none of the above beat her two to one. Two to one. Literally, yeah. Donald Trump wasn't on the ballot. I, I've got to think, for if your talking point is, and I don't want to be glib about threats that she may face. I don't yeah. I don't want to make light of that by any stretch. But I think the day that you ask for Secret Service protection and then get completely shellacked in a primary where Trump's not running, he literally you're not running against a single major party candidate that's in the race and you get beat two to one by none of the above doesn't help your case. It, it makes it hard. Uh, if she gets just... I mean, completely excoriated in South Carolina, her home state. I, I don't know how she justifies going forward. Now, I'm not going to be the one to tell her to get out because I've said repeatedly, Sean, the harder decision than to get in a race is the decision to get out of one. And I, I know that as a candidate. So I'm very empathetic with the person who's running that you don't want to listen to all the boo birds who say, you ought to get out, you ought to quit, you ought to get out. No, it's her decision to make. And as long as Democrats keep giving her money, which is where most of her money comes from, 
uh, that and from never Trumpers who hate Donald Trump, then she has every right to stay in the race and run until he has enough delegates to beat her. So if that's, if that's her criteria, then she'll stay in. But from a personal and looking at it long term, if I thought I was going to get beat in Arkansas, I might say, you know, rather than let that happen, I'm going to excuse myself. And uh, as Snagglepush used to say, exit stage right just before the embarrassment comes, because that's a political disaster you may never recover from ever. So if you have ambitions to do something later, that can crush it. Well, that's interesting because Marco Rubio stayed in. He ran through Florida, didn't do well. And, you know, there's a little bit of if she right now, she's down 30 points in South Carolina. It's still three weeks away. Do you think I mean, just I, I get your just do put put your analytical hat on for a second. Would it be smarter for her to get out before South Carolina if she knew she was going to lose or at least run through the tape, say, hey, what do I have to lose? Because I've already been governor twice and I'm not going to run for anything else. If she's not going to run for anything else, go for it. Go ahead and, and you know, if there's some magic that happens, Donald Trump, uh, you know, decides he's sick of the hassle he's been given and he, he bails out. You and I know that's not going to happen. But maybe that's her thinking is that lightning may strike and I don't want to have left the field uh, just at the time when they're about to call somebody up. It's like being lieutenant governor, as happened in Arkansas. A guy was there for uh, 12 years of Bill Clinton's governorship. He finally gave up thinking Clinton would ever move on. So he left the lieutenant governor's job, ran for attorney general, and the next year Clinton gets elected president and he misses his opportunity to be governor. So, you know, things like that can Even happen. The difference is the difference in your analogy there is the lieutenant governor by law becomes the governor, right? You ascend yeah, to that. True. She is not, she doesn't get to become the leading candidate. If Trump were to like something, literally he said, Hey, I want to go play in the pro-am. Yes. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, cause that's the only option that will pretty much exist. He's not going to face the legal consequences before the, the convention. If he were to say, I've just, for whatever reason, I've decided to have enough. She doesn't get to be there. I think that's not how it works. There's still no. delegates at stake. Yeah. She couldn't, I mean, none of the above might get a better chance of being the nominee right now. And that's why she has to seriously think about uh, how she exit. Is it on her terms? You know, you'd like to be able to say, I am choosing to take the exit right now, rather than uh, I've just been tarred, feathered, and tossed out there in the weeds. That's what you yeah. have to decide. What was it in your mind? I mean, you did it twice. Like, what was that click? Was it money? Was it just the delegate math? What was it that you said, all right, this is the right time. Well, in 2008, I said, I, I'm not a quitter. Uh, it was down to John McCain and me. And I said, when John McCain gets the delegates that secures the nomination, I'll congratulate him, shake his hand, salute his flag, and I'm out. And that's exactly what I did the very night that he won Texas and had, had the, the delegates. Uh, but until then, you know, I was still winning states. Yeah. Now, my problem was because the press after South Carolina in 08 decided that John McCain was the presumptive nominee and nobody could get near him. Uh, the press kept making that announcement. Uh, I even got a call by the then president of the United States, George W. Bush, asking me when I was going to get out, which highly offended me. Uh, and, and then what happens? The money dries up. So it, yeah. it's hard to keep going. In 2016, after Iowa, a state that I had won before, and I you know, came in a, a distant position there, 
I realized this isn't going anywhere. I knew I wasn't going to do well in New Hampshire. And by the time South Carolina came around, I wasn't going to do well. And I, and I realized, as I said that night, I needed to get out of the race due to illness. And there was a gasp in the room. And everybody thought, what's wrong? And I said, well, yeah, it's pretty apparent. The voters are sick of me. And so I'm getting out. With the illness. <laughs> you know, you have to have some levity in it because it hurts. It's painful uh. to walk away from something you put your heart and soul in. But in 2016, it was very evident that Donald Trump was going to win this nomination. And in large measure, because he had so dominated the landscape, the press helped him do that. And then they got all mad that he ended up being the nominee. Right. Now, you know, I became a Trump supporter. When I got out of the race, I immediately endorsed Trump. Uh, never looked back, never was regretful of that because I realized he's the only guy that is bringing together the coalition that I was bringing together in 08, the, the call it populist, call it working class. That's who was giving breath to my campaign in 2008 because I wasn't part of the, uh, the Georgetown wine sipping, cheese nibbling crowd. They didn't like me. In fact, yeah. they spent a lot of money to do everything to keep me from getting anywhere. Um, and Donald Trump came in he had that message, but not only that, he had the money and he had the media presence to make it work. Um, I got one last question for you. I want you to be objective on this. So let's just say that Nikki Haley, who cares? She runs through yeah. South Carolina. Uh, the day after the South Carolina primary, she drops out. Um, so Donald Trump is de facto the presumptive nominee. This will start a general election sooner than I think we've had in decades. Yeah. How soon should Donald Trump choose his nominee for vice president? Uh, because one, it could it, it adds somebody to the team, right? It's another person to fundraise. It's another person to do rallies. It's another exciting element to this. What would you advise him in terms of his VP nomination selection? Well, it, everything you just said is true. It will help raise money. It will help bring maybe some balance to the ticket, particularly if it's somebody who can help win over suburban women and the well-educated. That, that's a possibility. Younger suburban women, maybe? Yeah, that, that's, that could be important. It doesn't have to be a woman. It could be a, a male candidate who is able to relate. But, but it could be a woman, like a governor. It, I know where you're going. What? <laughs> I know where I'm you're just, going. I was just asking about timing. You're having I mean, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's get to the lick log here. I, I think a lot of people are speculating Sarah would be a wonderful prospect for President Trump. And I think politically she would be. But on a personal level, she loves her job. She loves yeah. what she's doing. She's only been in office for one year, which is not a lot of time to have served in an elective position. Is she tough enough? Yes. Uh, would she be a great running mate for the political and uh, capacity to speak and articulate? Absolutely. But I think it would be something she would be very, very reluctant to want to do. Um, so, you know, who knows? Has she at all given any thought about how helpful it would be to me? Has that ever crossed her mind? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You but, know, I, here's what I say about the vice presidency, Sean. No one ever says they want to do it. Everyone says, no, I don't want it. No, I'm not interested. But nobody ever turns it down. I know. Well, listen, I will tell you this right now. I think it's the greatest gig going. You get this beautiful house with a huge yeah. fence. No tourists are allowed. The greens are amazing. You get all the help. 
Uh, you get to go to all the cool events and don't have to make any of the big decisions. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know why people don't want this. I think it would be great. But let just in all seriousness, let's get back to the timing issue. If if he has to make a decision, not if he has to, do you think it's smarter? Last time, if you recall, he chose Pence literally as we're heading into that convention in Cleveland. Yeah. So there's a lot of runway there. What would make okay. the smartest timing decision for him? I think sooner rather than wait till right before the convention, that's a good idea because of all the reasons that you articulated. But here's what I would also say to him. Vet this person more carefully than anyone's ever been vetted. So take your time. So even if you say, this is the person I want, I mean, know um, how often they trim their toenails because the press is going to be looking at that. You don't want any surprises. You want to make sure that you've covered every single prospect of a problem. And that's what I would urge him to do is take your time and go through several people, but vet them to a level that no one has ever been vetted before. Exactly. Governor, always enjoy my time with you. Thank you uh, for your insight and all these key things. It's a perfect day to have you on the show. Appreciate that. And uh, obviously we'll be tuning in Sunday, Saturday night uh, to see who you have on the big show this week. Sean, always great to be with you. Thank you, my friend. Look forward to talking again soon. Take care. Always enjoy our conversations with Governor Huckabee. Some real insight there from a guy who actually knows what it's like to run for president. Thanks for joining us. Continue to hit that subscribe and notification button on YouTube, Rumble, Spotify, and Apple. Feel free to text me. Join the VIP group at seanspicershow.com slash VIP. We'll see you back here tomorrow with a great panel. And Friday, Victor Davis Hanson. See you tomorrow.